Well, hey, Harvest, uh, happy Easter. Of all the weeks, I wish we were sitting together in the school right now. Like this is the week that I wish we could gather and celebrate the resurrection. Nevertheless, uh, it is Easter Sunday. We are gathered wherever you're watching this to celebrate the resurrection. And that's what we're going to do today. So if you have a Bible, get with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, as you turn there, I want to tell you uh, about uh, uh, what happened at bedtime at our house a couple weeks ago. And so um, uh, we're getting ready for bed, and all of a sudden our four-year-old walks in and he's crying. And I have figured out uh, what is the I'm stalling bedtime cry, and I think I have figured out um, I just jumped off the dresser and I'm hurt cry, and I've figured out I'm scared of the monsters in my room cry, but this cry was different. There was uh, there was depth to it. There was legitimate tears. Uh, there was something he was wrestling with. And so I uh, walked him back to his room and I sat on his floor and uh, he sat on my lap and he asked a question. He asked a big life question in a little kid way. He said, Dad, what would happen to mommy or to you or to me if we were gone? And uh, it was a question about death. And so here we were like 9 p.m., on my four-year-old's bedroom floor, and I'm like, okay, if there's ever a gospel opportunity, here is a gospel opportunity. And so I begin to walk him through the gospel message, and I start with creation, and God is creator, and um, I'm working to sin, and I'm talking about Jesus and the cross, and uh, after the cross, I began to tell him about the tomb, and he stopped me. He goes, yeah, Dad, I know that part. That's uh, um, the, the light shone, and the angels were there, and all of a sudden, the tomb was empty, and the stone was rolled away, right? And I said, that's right, buddy. And uh, then he asked, like, one of the neatest questions for his dad to hear. Uh, he didn't ask, how can I know this Jesus today? He didn't ask anything else. Here's what he said. He said, Dad, how do we know that? How do we know the stone was rolled away? How do we know the tomb was empty? Uh, for the Christian, there is no more important question, I think, than recognizing and understanding that the tomb really was empty and the tomb really is empty and that the Savior we're worshiping today is really a resurrected Savior. Uh, and it's in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, if you know anything about the Bible and anything about these letters we find in the Bible to the Corinthians, you know that as Paul writes these letters, he has some issues he has to address in this church. And sometimes, as I've said before, uh, when we've studied this letter, uh, we can be hard on the Corinthians. But the truth is, if um, a letter was be, be, being written to any of our churches here today, like there'd be some issues that would probably have to be addressed. Um, as we get to 1 Corinthians 15, the issue that Paul is addressing here isn't uh, necessarily one of practice in their life. It's one of um, what they're believing or what, in this instance, what they're not believing. Uh, it seems that there's a group in the church who do not believe that there will be a resurrection upon uh, dying. And Paul says, no, no, no. They, we will for sure be resurrected. And then he goes back to the foundational building block of how we know, how we have hope of a resurrection one day. And that is because Christ has resurrected. 
And so um, this is where we're going in 1 Corinthians 15, but um, I want to read for us just the first couple of verses to kind of set the stage for where we're headed. First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so Paul tells us right at the outset of this chapter, here's what I want to do. I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the good news of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And then he expounds on this gospel that we believe as Christians. He says, this gospel is one in which you received, past tense, in which you stand, present tense, and in which you are being saved, present and future. And so um, my hope this Easter, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're watching this, is to remind us of the gospel. And if you're watching this and you don't yet know Jesus Christ, my prayer for you is by the end of this video, you will see that the gospel is a message to be received. Uh, but my prayer for you, if you are a Christian and you're watching this and you're celebrating Easter, you're celebrating the resurrection, you're celebrating the risen Savior, that you would see, that we would see that the gospel isn't something we just received in the past. The gospel is something in which we are to stand in right now. It's the sustaining force and strength and work in our life. And the gospel is what is saving us, what will deliver us one day into the perfect presence of Jesus Christ. So my hope today is that I remind us of the gospel this Easter. And in order to remind us of the gospel, we have to go back to the hope that we have in a resurrected Savior. And so uh, today is all about this, that my resurrection hope and your resurrection hope, our resurrection hope is firmly rooted in a resurrected Christ. And I want to work us through this uh, part of this chapter today by talking about four B's, four B's, four, four encouraging exhortations, four B's for resurrection hope in a resurrected Christ. And so pray with me and let's jump into God's word together this morning. Father, uh, this Easter we gather as people who find our hope, our complete hope, all of our hope, in the fact that you are not dead, you have risen. The tomb uh, was empty the day you rose out of it, and it's still empty today. We worship and we follow you as a risen, alive Savior. And Lord, that is the source, that's the foundation of our faith. And God, that is what we celebrate in particular this Easter Sunday. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four B's for resurrection hope and a resurrected Christ. The first B is this, be confident. He died, he was buried, he raised, and he's appeared. Verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. Now, I just want to stop right there. I know Paul's line of thought doesn't stop there, but I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that what Paul is doing here, he's actually reciting an early Christian, an early church creed. And so um, it seems that, and most scholars believe, what Paul has just said there, for I delivered you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, and he appeared. This is an early Christian creed. 
Um, Paul is writing this letter a relatively short time period after Jesus had died and had risen. But what's even more important to recognize is that this creed that Paul is quoting here, reciting here, it, it, it was a creed in existence so close, so near to the death of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because sometimes, uh, and you will no doubt encounter this as you walk out the Christian faith, you can come into contact with doubters or naysayers who say, no, no, no. What happened is... Um, Jesus' followers over a long period of time created this urban legend, this myth that, that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And like, that's just utterly false. This isn't an urban legend that was created over time. There is a creedal statement from the earliest Christians who believed right away that Jesus was crucified on a cross, he was laid in a tomb, and then he actually rose from the dead. This is something the believers believed nearly immediately upon seeing the resurrected Christ. And so um, Paul's reminding them of the gospel, and he starts with this early Christian creed. But if you're going to make a claim that this uh, teacher, this Messiah you're following rose from the dead, you probably better have some things to substantiate a claim like that. And Paul now is going to expand on this creed by talking about all the appearances of the resurrected Christ. Verse 5, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Notice that. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so Paul expands on these appearances of the risen Savior. Uh, all of these appearance accounts are notable, but I want to focus in on two of these that we find here. The first one is this reference to Jesus, the risen Savior, appearing to 500. He says, most of whom are still alive. Um, I've told you, if you've been part of our church uh, any time at all, um, I was a religion major at a non-Christian college in my undergrad. And uh, as I came into um, situations and into conversations with professors, into classes that really challenged the foundational beliefs I held as a Christian, um, my faith early on in my college career got rattled a bit. It's this appearance account that was one of the most foundational, one of the most reassuring accounts for me. That Paul references here, that Jesus appeared to a group of 500 people, and then he says this, most of whom are still alive. See, if you're going to make up a story about a, a Savior raising, rising from the dead, you probably don't want to mention that there's people who, who are still alive who can substantiate whether that is true or not. But Paul's not making up a story. This happened. He's saying these people are still alive. If you wanted to, go, go ask them, which is such a powerful thing. And kind of the second appearance account I want to zero in on here is what Paul says here in verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Uh, Paul is about to jump into just his own personal testimony and what happened to him in seeing 
the resurrected Christ. Um, but before we get to Paul's personal testimony, I just want to tell us from this first point, be confident. Be confident in your faith. We don't believe in some urban legend of a Savior who rose from the dead. We believe in a Savior who died for our sin, who was buried, who rose. And how do we know he rose? Because he appeared. And there's all of these appearance accounts that remind us of that. And so I just want to remind us, this is the historical Jesus. And scholarly circles, there's all of these debates and groups trying to get at who is the historical Jesus. The historical Jesus is the Jesus who died, was buried, who rose, and who appeared. That is what our faith rests on. Yes, we believe the gospel by faith, but our faith rests on the facts of this being the historical Jesus. And I just want to remind us, there is no real Christianity without a resurrected Christ. There is no real Christianity without a resurrected Christ. And if you encounter people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Do you believe Jesus died, was buried, rose, and appeared? No, I don't actually believe he rose from the dead. That is no real, legit faith at all. Jesus did die. He was buried. He rose and he appeared. These are the facts of the gospel. But now I want to remind us that these are facts, um, but they're more than facts. These are more than just facts to be flippantly acknowledged in our brains. Um, these are facts to be believed. These are the facts of the gospel to be received. These are facts to be responded to in faith. And when a life, when a human, when a human heart, when a human soul responds in faith to the gospel message, transformation happens. That leads me to the second B today. Be transformed. This changes everything. This reality that we've just been, being, uh, been reminded of changes everything. And Paul's going to share from his own story how that is true. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul had said, uh, then to one untimely born, this risen Christ appears to me. And then he launches into just this snippet, just this little piece of his personal story. He says, I'm like the least of the apostles. And he gives us a glimpse of his past. And if you've grown up in church circles or if you've been around church circles any time at all, you certainly probably have heard the story of Paul. But if you're newer to this and you're newer to the Bible, um, Paul was a guy who at one point in his life, it wasn't just that he was, um, like he, he didn't care about Christianity. It wasn't that he just looked at it and thought, oh, this is foolish and stupid. Paul violently opposed the Christian faith. Paul violently opposed Jesus and anyone associated with Jesus. He devoted his life 
to the cruel imprisonment, to hunting these Christians down, finding them, and making sure they were served justice for their, what he thought at the time was heretical views of what was the true faith. And one day, Paul is walking on the road to Damascus in his life 180s. His life completely flips. Nearly overnight, historically speaking, Paul goes from the biggest opponent, the greatest opponent of the Christian faith to the greatest proponent, the greatest advocate, the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary of the Christian faith. What happened? The resurrected Jesus appeared to him. And he looks today and he says, by the grace of God, by that grace, by Jesus literally hunting me down and putting me flat on my back, by that grace, that gift I didn't deserve, by that grace, I am what I am. But then he says something that's so important. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Uh, His grace toward me was not useless. He goes on to say, um, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. What is Paul saying here? Is is he just gotten boastful here? What's this all about? He says, no. The fact that Jesus hunted me down and lavished his grace on me, completely transforming my life, saving me from my sin, he says, that grace to me was not in vain. That changed everything everything. Because Jesus gave his life for me, Paul in turn has given his life back to him. And that's what he's saying here. I worked harder. I've worked out of the grace that God has shown me to see his glory spread across the world. See, here's the thing. We don't work for the grace of Jesus Christ, but we do certainly work from the grace that Jesus Christ has shown us. And Paul has said, the grace he has shown me is not in vain. I have devoted my life like this has changed everything. I followed Jesus with a reckless abandon. I seek his glory in all things. You know, I've just got a bit of an aside, but I've been reminded lately that even as you look at Paul's prayers in his letters, for all that he went through, all the pain, all the persecution, you almost never find him praying things that are like, Lord, keep me safe. Lord, take the pain away. You always find him praying things, Lord, advance your gospel, build your kingdom. This is what Paul and his life was all about. And this is so important for us. That as we are people who embrace the gospel message, we're to be transformed by this gospel message. And I'll just say this, I'll kind of boldly and lovingly like look into the camera, trying to like reach you in your living rooms and say this as lovingly as I can. If you have not been changed by the gospel, you have not been saved by the gospel. I want to expound on that a little bit. See, the gospel is a message to be received. At one point, for those who truly know Jesus Christ, at one point in their life, they received the gospel and they were saved. They were justified. They were declared righteous. But the gospel is doing a present tense work on us. It is sanctifying us. It is making us into a greater image of Jesus Christ. We are becoming more like Christ. We should be growing in our Christ likeness. And then one day, it's this gospel hope that is our assured inheritance to be perfectly with Christ in his presence. And so, if there's no sanctification happening, if there's been no life change, 
there's probably not been a legitimate embracing of the gospel. And now, I, I sometimes I say hard things, loving but hard things like that from the pulpit. And some of you are worried right now, and you're like the le- you're like you're the person who should be worried the least. Some of you are like, I don't know if I've done enough. This isn't about doing enough. But this is about looking and evaluating our life to say the gospel should lead to transformation. Some of you are going, though, but, like, but, but Paul's story is so radical. Like he was going house to house, dragging Christians out, and all of a sudden overnight, a whole 180, and now he's the greatest missionary for the Christian faith. Like my story isn't so radical. I get that. We all hear the story. We all hear the testimonies and of the radical salvation experiences. And so many of us who don't have that radical story are like, man, that's not my story at all. My story is one of growing up in the church, knowing all the church answers, knowing the Bible verses, knowing the songs, knowing how to look the Christian part, knowing how to act in the Christian culture. But then at 19, God revealed to me that I knew a lot of moralism. I knew a lot of things about him. I knew how to look the part in church circles and how to not when I was out of it. And at 19, God's grace gripped me in a dorm room at Wabash College. And his gospel call became effectual in my life and it changed me. And I would just look at all of us today and say, if we have a testimony, if we have a story, all of us have a radical testimony. Because for Jesus to take us from death to life is radical. Um, This book I'm reading right now, the author says something that I thought was just so fitting for this point. He says, In salvation, God brings sin addicts to be drawn toward godliness rather than to be repelled by it. There is a radical 180-degree turn in the life of every true saint, and this turn is possible only because God himself has acted. The truth is that all of us before Christ, we are these treasonous rebels against a holy God, and all of us before Christ are sin addicts. And that sin could have looked different in all of our stories. But it's a radical account when Jesus Christ uh, uh, penetrates through all of that, by his grace, grabs a hold of our life and completely changes, changes our affections. From the love of sin to the love of holiness to wanting to see more of him in our life. And I just tell us and remind us this is Easter. Because of the resurrected Christ, be transformed. This changes everything. The gospel truly changes everything. And to even like evaluate our lives this Easter to see, do I see that change? Do I see the work of Christ in my life? Do I see this growing desire for holiness? Am I seeing God sanctify? And if not, to cast yourself on the mercies of Jesus Christ by receiving the gospel for yourself today. And so um, when we are reminded of the gospel message, when uh, we see the transformation the gospel message has worked in our own life, it leads us to this third B, and that is be confident. Christ's resurrection is real, and yours will be too. This is where Paul kind of directly speaks to these people who believe that there is no resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching's in vain. Our preaching's useless, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul's speaking directly there to this group of people who, who I, I, I think maybe even well-intentionally have come to this place where they believe there's no resurrection after the dead. And Paul says, no, 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 if that's true, there's no faith. If that's true, there's no Christianity. If we of all people do not believe in a resurrection, our faith is futile. There's nothing to it. We should be pitied among all of the people living on this earth the most if there is no resurrection. But Paul's going to come here in a minute to verse 20 and say, but that's not true. There is a resurrection. And we as believers need to be confident that Christ has resurrected from the grave. And we need to be confident that because of Christ's resurrection, because of his victory over sin and death, in Christ, we too will rise to life when we pass from this earth. I mentioned um, kind of my field of study in my undergrad, and uh, there was uh, a scholar that we would study often in the program. Uh, his name is Bart Ehrman. And uh, Bart Ehrman um, is one of the leading uh, secular scholars on what is called in kind of academic circles the historical Jesus. And um, Bart Ehrman, by his own admission, is not a believer. Um, he, he would say, just to use his words, he would say he wants to look at Jesus from a historical lens and just try to get an understanding of historically who was this man. And he basically summarizes Jesus as a, 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 a Galilean, a rural Galilean apocalyptic prophet. That's a mouthful. Basically, Jesus was a radical teacher of his day. I bought one of uh, Ehrman's books recently, um, uh, How Jesus Became God. And uh, in the book, there's two chapters devoted to this resurrection account of Jesus. And I wanted to see how, how does a secular scholar, someone who doesn't believe in the resurrection account, how, does, how, does, how, does, how do they handle that? And um, uh, if you're interested more in the book, I can get you the details of it. And I would love for you to go read it yourself. But as I'm reading this book, my heart was overjoyed. As I'm coming to the place to go, how are they going to explain the resurrection account? And I'm going, I'm reading this going, they can't. I'm reading this going like, what I believe as a Christian that Jesus actually resurrected is more plausible, is easier for me to believe than some of these other like crazy ideas or, or, or um, um, kind of crazy thoughts of what might have happened in this resurrection account. Uh, Ehrman would say a person like me has to do historical interpretive gymnastics to actually, actually believe in a resurrection. As I was reading his work, I was sitting there going, no, I think you would have to be the better gymnast to believe some of these accounts of what happened than to just take by faith and look at the facts that Jesus actually has risen from the dead. Christian, be confident. He is risen. 
And because he has risen, you have hope of a resurrection of life after this life of this earth that we're walking on right now. And that leads me to the fourth B. If we can have confidence that he's risen, and if we can have confidence that that means we will rise too because in faith we've believed in him. We should be the most hope-filled people walking this earth. And so the last B is this, be hope-filled. There's life now and forevermore. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. See, here's the deal. There is no bypass around original sin. I mean, we're told straight up here, through Adam, through one man, Adam, death has entered the world. But through a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, victory over that death has come. All of us watching this video, all of us sitting in this room where this video is shot, all of us have been plagued by sin. That sin uh, is treason against a holy God. That sin is deserving of death and to be separated from him forever. <clears throat> but God in his love has sent the remedy for our sin problem. He has sent the antidote to our sin problem. He has sent the hope for our sin problem. And that was the sending of his own son. By him, by Christ, all shall be made alive. And so, um, all the way back to my four-year-old's question, 9 p.m. on a bedroom floor. Dad, how do we know? How do we know that the stone was really rolled away, that the tomb was empty? We know because of the historical account we have of a Jesus who died. We know that historically, and we know theologically why he had to die. He had to die for my sin. We know that because he was buried. We know that historically and we know it theologically. He had to die. He had to be buried in order to triumph over death. Uh, we know that because he rose and he appeared. We know that historically because of the historical accounts we have from that. And we know that theologically that in his raising and in his appearing, if we will believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we too have hope to raise to life after the years that God grants us on this earth. And so I just want to look and I just want to say, if you are watching this and you would just describe yourself as an unbeliever, and I don't mean that disparagingly towards you, I just mean you are someone who has never believed in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. I would just look at you today and I would say this Easter in 2020 and um, certainly some of the oddest times in my life and probably yours too, in a time where we are seeing that so many of the things we have looked to for the foundation of our life, stock markets and jobs and some semblance of normalcy, all of that was taken away in a matter of weeks. I just want to look at you and say there is a sure foundation of your life and his name is Jesus Christ. And he beckons you, he calls you, in love, he pursues you for you to put your faith in him today. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
The Bible says that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All the way back to the very first verse we read talks about the gospel as something that needs to be received. I just look at you and say, why not believe in Jesus today? Why not right now in your living room or your, wherever you're watching this, just say like, Jesus, I, like you have opened my eyes for me to see my sin and to see a need for the Savior. I see you are that Savior I need and I give my life to you today. Do that today. And I just tell you, if you do that, just on a practical note, we want to be able to come alongside you and to help you understand what does it mean now to live a life as a Christian? What does it mean now to walk with Jesus in relationship? There's a a button like right under this video where you're watching this on our website. Would you just click that? Would you just say, I've, you know, with, with clicking that button, would you say, I have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ today? Or, or maybe in clicking that button, you're saying like, hey, I want to talk to someone more about this. And we commit to follow up with you so that you will understand what does this faith in Jesus Christ look like? So make sure you click that so we can follow up. But to the believers this Easter, We gather for worship today in our homes or wherever you are to celebrate this resurrected Savior. And as Paul said, right in the very first thing that we read here, that the gospel is something, yes, we've received in the past, but the gospel is something we stand in right now. And the gospel is something that is saving us to that assured inheritance one day when we're standing with him perfected in his presence. I just tell you in this time, would you rejoice in the gospel today? Would you rejoice in a resurrected Savior? Would you rejoice in a resurrected King? Would you rejoice and worship today? Like, don't just shut this video off and then go on with your day like it's just any other day. Would you stop? Would you pray together after this? Would you worship together after this? Would you respond to this that we have this Resurrection Sunday a resurrected Savior and because of our resurrected Savior my resurrection, your resurrection, our resurrection hope is firmly rooted in this resurrected Savior. So happy Easter. I pray your hearts were warmed to worship today. And I pray you won't rush out of this moment. But together, wherever you are, you will worship the resurrected King this Resurrection Sunday. Harvest, you are loved and you are sent. Happy Easter.